are you equating a 15 minute Johnny Bod session to sitting around pounding a nice craft beer? Uh, I love it if you are. I would rather fucking knock out a 15 minute pump than sit alone and drink a beer. Yeah. That's well, a personal rule of mine. Don't drink alone. <laughs> dude. Uh, <laughs> man. Charles had a that is a pretty damn good rule. Thanks for tuning into Power Athlete Radio, featuring The Crew, where a former pro football player and a D3 All-Star use strength and conditioning as an excuse to talk about anything but. Now here's John and Tex. Hey, welcome to another episode of the premier podcast of Strength and Conditioning, Power Athlete Radio. Mr. McQuilkin, good to see you. Not only is it good to see me. We also welcome our nutrition ninjas. Well, you didn't even give me a chance to even introduce them. I was just going to say, how are you doing today? Incredible. Well, to more important people, we have our nutrition ninjas yeah. with us. Oh, fuck. You're stealing my thunder, McQuilkin. What happened? You got a little nervous? You jumped the gun? A little premature introduction? It happens all the time. I heard it happens, happens to everybody. Many. I heard it happens to men at your age. There's a lot of premature yeah. introductions happening around men around your age. <laughs> I changing. The I had a big meal. I had too many drinks. Uh, I was in the pool. <laughs> it was real cold. So, hey guys, what's happening? Nothing. Not a whole lot after that um, intro. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we try to keep things spicy and more importantly, funny. After five, six hundred podcasts, I stopped honestly counting at about one twenty-five. Oh, we're nearing six hundred. I know. I'm excited for six hundred. We got a big one coming out for six hundred. Yeah, a little bit of a surprise. A little bit of a surprise. Speaking of surprises and awkward transitions. Yeah. Our nutrition crew, they were describing a couple of challenges they're facing with their current clientele. And we thought this would make an excellent segment and bit like a morning radio show of essentially playing therapist with your nutrition clients. And one in particular we want to battle today is justifying your diet in particular alcohol. So I'm going to hand it off to Sam to introduce the challenges she faces. And then let's explore this because, Rob, I know there's individuals you've worked with that say, hey, uh, do beers count? All the time. Yes. So, All right. So give us some backstory. Yes. So we have been offering the 15-minute uh, consults for those individuals who purchase a year of programming. And specifically, uh, Sam, let me give you a little uh, guys that are listening to Power Athlete Radio. We had a deal in January where if you signed up for one of the Power Athlete programs on Train Rock for a year in advance, we offered you a 15 minute consult with one of the team. So I did a bunch, texted a bunch. We got Sam and Rob to do a bunch as well. And with that, we also gave you a nutrition template. So that was our January uh, kind of promo. So Sam is kind of tailing off and finishing those up. So, okay. Yes. So um, a common theme in that 15 minutes of magic that happened on the phone um, was, hey, I'm getting this great template. How do I make alcohol fit? Um, and one in particular was he, uh, essentially this gentleman wanted to drink four to five times a night and was uh, asking, you know, do I count that towards carbs? Do I count it towards fat? And how is that going to impact my performance in my training sessions? So Rob and I are going to dive into that. Um, it's something that we hear from our one-on-one -on -one clients as well and kind of goes with the don't be weird mentality of power athlete. But 
you know, maybe drinking too much could be weird. Well, I know. No, I, I think you bring up a beautiful point. I mean, you know, the uh, uh, years ago, we had a gal at the gym named Kelly Urbani. And Kelly was one of our trainers at CrossFit Balboa. And uh, she came in one day with this shirt that said, you know, you can have results or you can have excuses, but you can't have both. And she was pretty adamant on like, you know, working with her clients like, hey, what do you want? Do you want like, I mean, you know, like, like show me what you want to do and more or more importantly, tell me what the end goal is. And then I got to start removing things to try to get us there. And she's like, a lot of people don't want to give up. Like, uh, you know, I drink this, uh, you know, thousand calorie Starbucks, you know, mocha, maca, chino, you know, grappa, something. And, um, you know, I, I want to drink this every day. And she's like, this is adversely affecting. And so I remember she came in with that shirt and that was like her mantra for you know, two days until she got a new mantra. So yeah, I mean, but, but, analysis, right. It's basic economics. Do you like, is it worth the gains or is it worth the lack of gains? And anytime you're eating, training, choosing a weight on a bar or rep scheme, you're always kind of going through that cost benefit analysis. I mean, choosing a checkout line at the grocery store, you're it's, you know, which one's going to move fastest. It's all decisions. So what, uh, uh, if, if for example, the individual comes to you and says, Hey, how do I skin this nutrition template? So I can now, is he saying like socially have a drink or get fucked up four or five nights a week? <laughs> it was more, he enjoys having a beer or two post work day during the week, which if you're doing it during the week, my guess is Saturday hits and you're probably going out with friends and then Sunday hits and maybe you're having brunch or a drink with your spouse. So it's a slippery slope if you're having a drink after uh, work every day, because then it kind of turns into a seven day thing instead of a, you know, two to three. And he asked me what my recommendation for drinking was, um, like how many days a week? And my response was, well, I would say in general for max performance, zero to one drinks a week would be so my zero, recommendation. Zero to one. I mean, uh, <sighs> So here, here's the issue that I have, like more so than just the calorie exchange, because I mean, we can all do the jiggy calories if it fits your macros. And like we were talking about, uh, you know, a five ounce glass of wine is around 105 calories, which is about a rice cake. So I mean, people are like, and I remember having clients being like, well, I, you know, I don't eat rice cakes either. I would rather drink my wine. And my issue came down to is, uh, it's very hard to just have one drink. I mean, I know I can do it, but like I said, I went over to my buddy's house he, I was like, hey, I'll have a glass of wine. And every time I took a sip, he was fucking topping it off to the point where I was like, fuck, how much have I drank? And uh, like, that's a, like a reasonable thing. But also, it's really easy too when uh, you have a drink, your inhibitions get lower and you tend to make worse decisions in terms of eating, which is kind of what happens to me. So as I was sitting there uh, having a glass of wine, his wife put out the most bitchin' charcuterie board I've ever seen. And the problem is, is if I, for me personally, if I'm not drinking, I can literally abstain from the charcuterie board. The problem is, as soon as I start drinking, I'm like, I don't know what those uh, sugary, uh, you know, pecans are, but I'm going to try one of those. I'm going to try this. And next thing you know, you've sampled this whole thing and you're like, ah, shit, I don't even know how many calories this whole thing is. And then at that point, you're like, nobody knows. Fuck it. Like, so I think that there's a definite inhibition associated with alcohol and it's very realistic to say, you know what? Hey, I had a beer. Let's have another. 
And then if you do have those, let's say four or five days a week, and like you said, you go out for the weekends or maybe you go out for a brunch and you have some champagne mimosas. I mean, it feels like, well, I did it yesterday. I can do it today. So it's almost like the gateway, the process. It's easier just to be like, no, or one than it is to be like, oh, how are we going to skin this every day for you to get fucked up? Sure. Yeah, I think uh, I think one of the things that you kind of were really alluding to there, John, was the fact that, you know, who are you with, right? So, like, if you're like a, if you're at home during the week and it's kind of just you, one drink's not going to kill you, you know, and it's probably not going to kill you calorie wise. But you know, the issue is we're social animals and we like to be social. And when you're social around other people, we all have those friends that are like, hey, "Come on, just one more, or one more, one more," where you get down that slippery slope of what that when you have that intention to have that one drink. And then the next thing you know, you're, you know, three, four drinks into it. And then it's like, fuck it. I might as well just, you know, have an entire case. And then, and then it's the bad decisions and all that. So I think, you know, sometimes it's, 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 uh, it's fine with some, you know, maybe some parameters, like, you, you know, it's, it's similar to having, um, some foods that trigger you into, uh, going off the, off the deep end, like, you know, going to a Mexican restaurant and just eating the shit out of the, out of the tortilla chips that come at the beginning, um, you know, people are triggers too into, you know, next thing you know, you're, you know, wasted and getting up the next day, feeling like shit and then potentially doing it all over again. So I think sometimes you have to kind of be careful with who you're with too. So, uh, there's also like, obviously just like the calorie balance. I mean, um, you know, regardless of, uh, you know, whether or not it's purely calories in, calories out, there's also a hormonal response associated with uh, consuming alcohol. Um, and there's also some issues within the gut. So, I mean, obviously, um, you know, as you guys listen to this podcast, you know, we talked at nauseum, the idea that there's 10 times more bacteria in the, st- in the, in the body than there is cells. So, I mean, we're just this kind of interesting balance of light and dark bacteria that, you know, gets thrown out some days and, you know, kind of goes back. But, for the most part, now we have an issue where, you know, you're drinking alcohol, which negatively affects the bacteria within the gut and then also, you know, causes some hormonal, uh, hormonal issues. Yeah. And um, whenever you drink, your your body is working really hard to filter that out. So when usually it'll be absorbing nutrients, especially the B vitamins, they're really negatively affected um, with absorption when you have that alcohol in your system. Um, so you're just causing, like you said, unwanted inflammation, you're not properly absorbing. And I don't know if any of you have come across this, but back when I was working, um, more in person with clients versus remotely, instead of relying on in bodies, I would do a lot of, uh, calipering Mm -hmm. and my clients that drew a lot or frequently, or, you know, went out actually uh, the back of the kidney was bigger and they cut out it go down. So you like, there's legitimate inflammation in the kidneys and in your body that you can see. And everyone, men, women, they complain about this tire, right? So you're going to hold, that's going to give you love handles, more a more visual love handle if you're constantly drinking. Well, so. uh, you know, there's obviously a few reasons for it, but uh, I found that especially like the, the the fat that packs around towards the back tended to be associated with uh, higher levels of cortisol and also inflammation. Yeah. 
So I know when we used to do yep. caliper tests, like that was like a big thing where, um, you know, and I know uh, Charles Falkwin had that deal where the different caliper locations, they had kind of this deal where, you know, based upon where you stored your fat, there were some hormonal issues. There was cortisol and kind of some micronutrient deficiencies. Um, I remember Rob Wolf got real deep in it and I've talked to Derek Woodski at, at um, you know, a pretty good length about it. And um, while some people think it's a little bit of witchcraft, it tends to be pretty accurate when you start looking at the aggregate over a whole bunch of people. So, I mean, that's a big one we always get to. Like um, I always call it dad fat. So uh, that kind of fat rate back here tends to hit you after your first kid when all of a sudden now you've had all these sleepless nights and uh, you know, you're not training as much, you're not sleeping as much. And that's usually the first area that starts to pack on with that inflammation and that uh, uh, mismiss cortisol. For me, the first area when I get my client progress pictures from my, specifically my male clients, that's the first area they're like, I, my back, like a, I'm seeing some great shoulder definition and B look at around my shorts. And I'm like, yeah, it's cause you've, we've work on sleep hygiene. You're you've cleaned up your diet. You're eating more micronutrients and fruits and vegetables. And because the alcohol, we don't make it fit all the time. You have less inflammation. And like, I should probably go through and send some of those emails to you guys, but it's like every time they're like, yeah, my hips, my back, like they see it. You can visually see it at the end of, you know, so, so take us through. So, so the client gets on the phone and says, Hey, I, was he following the leaning protocol, bulking protocol, keto? What's he following? The uh, leaning protocol. Okay. So, so he's on the leaning protocol. So, Hey, I want to cut body fat and mm-hmm. it feels like the easiest low hanging fruit is like, Hey, if we can reduce your alcohol consumption from five nights a week down to zero, you're going to get where you want to go dramatically faster. And then what, then his response is, well, I don't want to give up drinking four or five nights a week. At which point you probably hand him the uh, number for your local AA. Yeah. You know, I, know. I mean, that's a, that's a very real thing. I mean, I I think that uh, you know, not to say we're saints, but I find that if um, the people that I know that drank every day, it ended up becoming more of a problem than a benefit. Sure. Yeah, and it's just we've talked about habits a lot on here before, and it just becomes habit or routine, just like waking up at 5am to work out or drinking water, you can, you have negative and positive habits. And the more often you do those, those things, the more it's going to stick. Um, and the only way to change it is to stop. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I think, uh, uh, no. sorry, sorry, John, no, to interrupt. no, no, um, I, I, I was going to get into a little bit of the psychology of it, but I, I know that's hopefully where you guys are going to go in terms of like, like balancing what your client wants to do with the results they want to get. And I think that's a really interesting piece within the training programs and, um, you know, nutrition, remote coaching, everything that we do. How do you really attack like, okay, I hear what you want to do, but like the end result and like, how do you kind of start marrying those together? Well, I think it, you know, it is, it kind of goes down to conversations and, and, you know, really they have to be enrolled in it too. And it's really kind of working with them and I think, uh, you know, kind of like Sam's example of the, you know, how, like basically what's the, what is the um, minimum amount of work I can do and still get the results I want is really kind of what that guy was saying is like, you know, well, that's potentially not possible. And, uh, you know, I was just, uh, just having been at that art of coaching and I was re listening to conscious coaching and, and towards the end of the book, he has a um, comment in there saying that commitment is not convenient. 
And I think that's, that was a super powerful thing to hear, right. Is that like that, you know, if you do want to go certain places with your fitness goals, your performance goals, your nutrition goals, then it's not going to be convenient at all. And you just kind of really have to embrace that. And that, and that's, you know, really in a way you're, you're just trying to lead, lead the client to come to that conclusion too, is that, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to need to, to, I'm going to need to be a completely different person. So when you, uh, you know, obviously we're doing these 15 minute consults and we sent this guy the deal. Um, you know, he's obviously now he has uh, a little, he's armed with enough information. He's following a training program. He's locked in for a year. He's got a nutrition template to follow and he has a 15 minute consult. Uh, you know, I'd like to believe that everybody has the ability. I mean, the tools are in place for everybody to succeed. The issue comes down to at which point do you make the recommendation of being like, Hey, uh, I really think if you want to dial this thing in, something like a weekly check-in remote coaching is probably the best option. And then we can begin to make some changes because uh, when I used to do some nutrition coaching, I had the same deal. Hey, like this, these are all the things I want to do. I had a lady who, uh, one of my original clients said, um, I want to eat cake and cookies every single day. <laughs> and I was like, ah, you're already real heavy. Like this isn't going to help us. And so what was interesting was actually once she started training with us and started going through nutrition coaching, all of a sudden I just made it really hard. Everything just got really hard. And I remember her being like, is this ever going to get easier? And my whole deal was like the day that you give up the cake and the cookies and we start eating better, everything will get better. So it really came down to this like accountability side on the performance where all of a sudden now it became more important for her, not in terms of body composition, but it was more about being able to be competitive and be able to do stuff more so than like, and that started to kind of outweigh the desire to eat cake and cookies. Well, that, that it keys in on the transition from having an outcome goal to more of a process. So that way her performance is now the, the, the outcome for her versus just lose X amount of pounds. Sure. Well, I mean, that, I mean, if you think back on the CrossFit stuff where now every day you walk into the gym, there was a competition to be had now. I mean, and I think for a lot of people that was extremely beneficial at a certain point in their life. And unfortunately, though, I mean, if you're all kind of gas in that direction, it becomes kind of hollow. And I think we've seen that kind of peel out. But really, uh, you know, at that point, you know, do you just kind of be like, hey, um, uh, you know, here's the nutrition protocol. I don't think I can skin this to get you to have you drink four or five nights a week. And if you do it, you're not going to meet your goals just based off of the fact that it's going to increase inflammation. You're going to be messing with your gut bacteria. And you're also going to be in a ton of, uh, you know, hopefully bad decisions, because I'll tell you if it's midnight and somebody's, Hey, like, let's go get in and out burgers. If I'm sober, <laughs> I'll be like, fuck off. I'm going to bed at midnight after we have a whole bunch of drinks. I don't know. I might get in the car and drive and go get an in and out burger. Woo. You know? <laughs> so not to say that In-N-Out burgers are bad, but I feel like after you've had a couple drinks, the power to suggestion it like just gets open and maybe you make some bad decisions and you think, hey, maybe I'll just do more cardio. I'll lift weights more tomorrow. I'll make up for the deficit. But unfortunately, like these, these are where these battles are won and lost in terms of being able to make a life change. Well, yeah, in that it, calorie exchange, as you put it earlier, there's also dangers of negative relationship with exercise. So mm -hmm. it can go down a certain route. Uh, I know Brett speaks, uh, Brett Bartholomew speaks about that in that book, Rob. Uh, one thing I was thinking for potential solution, if this dude is four nights a week, what can we fill that time with that also has the same maybe hormonal release in the brain, like 15 minutes to consume a beer and chill? Why not a Johnny Bod? 
Oh. An iron flex. I thought you were going to go with micro dosing, uh, micro dose, micro dosing psilocybin or something. Uh, oh, I, 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 I was going in a completely different direction no. with this thing. I thought, you, you know, tech started micro dosing ketamine and psilocybin to try to help him, you know, reach the next plane of consciousness. So I learned oh, a lot from Matt. Vincent. Was I, was I not I supposed to tell you that? Oh, I'm just kidding. Um, so I'm kidding. Hmm. No, I mean, Johnny <laughs> Bot, iron flex. It's the yeah. same 15 minute decompression. But more in line with your goal, sir. Are you equating a 15-minute Johnny Bod session to sitting around pounding a nice craft beer? Uh, I love it if you are. I would rather fucking knock out a 15-minute pump than sit alone and drink a beer. Yeah. That's well, a personal rule of mine. Don't drink alone. <laughs> dude. Uh, <laughs> man. Charles had a That is a pretty damn good rule. Um <laughs> I'll tell you the, uh, I do have a rule. Uh, like I, the only time I ever drink alone is if I'm remembering somebody who's passed away. Like that's like a big thing. Like, uh, if like, you know, like when well, then are you drinking alone? Well, I mean, like I like to think that, uh, you know, when my dad passed away, which was February 28th, a couple of years ago, so every February 28th, I usually have a drink and say, you know, here's to you dad and just kind of hang out and enjoy and, and like look at some old pictures and I think that that's good for remembering, but I think that people that tend to drink alone uh, are not doing it for the social aspect. They're doing it because they're trying to what know. What else pain. am I going to do? Yeah. So that's a little bit. I mean, uh, like alcoholism is extremely, I mean, damaging to a lot of families. And I, I, I sometimes wonder, like, uh, it's kind of a slippery slope, right? Like you start with a few drinks and it's social and next thing you know, and I'm actually going through this with a buddy of mine, um, Huey. You know, I mean, uh, you know, it started socially and then next, you know, you're, you know, drinking every day and hiding drinks, hiding bottles at work, you know, and then where does that kind of evolve into? And I think, you know, when people see that, it just becomes undependable. So uh, I, I think we all, especially coming out of the COVID situation, you know, with lockdown and what I think that there's a, a huge propensity to try to self-medicate. And, um, you know, I mean, I've seen that with a ton of NFL players. I mean, I dealt with it with uh, Kyle Turley. You know, Kyle self-medicating through cannabis and he's dramatically better under cannabis than he was on all the other, you know, different psychedelics or I'm sorry, um, psychotropics that, uh, you know, they prescribed them. But, at the you know, at the end of the day, you're still self-medicating. And is it wrong? I don't know. I'm not a judge on it. I just know for performance gains, if you're looking to get fucking shredded and really like be the best version of yourself, uh, I don't know if alcohol plays into that equation. And if it does, it might be a drink. Um, you know, I mean, like we said for the hammer 90, like if somebody offers you a drink, you go over to your friend's house, he offers you a glass of wine. Great. I'll take four ounces. Uh, but I think that there's no real part in that where you're drinking four or five nights a week. I've just never seen it. Not to say no. it can't be done, but I guarantee nobody's doing their Mr. Olympia prep and getting fucked up four nights a week. <laughs> no, <Okay>. I wish. <laughs> well, but I mean, and, and, and then here's another issue. Uh, you know, uh, you know, Sam and Rob, you know, you guys have kids and mm -hmm. like I have kids. And probably one of the worst things to happen to me was when I was pretty, uh, the girls were real young. Like I remember it was the first time Kate and I had gone out without the kids and it, it had been a couple months and we got invited to go to a, a Christmas party. So we went out to the Christmas party, had like a few drinks, went home. I think we got home at midnight and the girls started crying at like 3 a.m. And there you are trying to like, you know, Kate's breastfeeding. I'm trying to take care of these kids and I had a bunch of drinks and I'm like, holy shit, I'm never doing this again because they don't know what time I got home. They just know that they're getting up crying. So I sometimes think with having kids, uh, like it's doesn't help anybody to have a whole bunch of drinks and be hungover. 
you know, and kind of like what Tex said, there are so many things you can do in place of that to get that mental clarity. And I think that is something that is a positive of COVID is people did a lot of like drinking and self-medicating, but now on my Instagram, at least there's so many like mindfulness practices and journaling exercises. And like, um, I'm not a huge yogi, but you know, 15 minute flows that you can do to, you know, decompress at the end of the night without opening a bottle of wine, because at least in our home, I'm like, Oh, we open a bottle of wine, 75%, if not the whole bottle will get finished. Um, and you know, cause that's two large glasses per person. Um, and you're not going to leave, at least I won't <laughs> leave that much in there. No, so, not, not at all. I mean, and, and I guarantee your husband isn't leaving that behind. Have, have you guys ever calculated it out? I mean, I, I know we've talked about this at length, um, you know, and this is one that really kind of, when I was doing the nutrition consult, especially on this, uh, one of the questions the guy asked me was, can I really blow my diet on the weekend? So if I train and I'm like, you know, if we're in this like three to 500 calorie caloric uh, deficit and, um, you know, everything's dialed my training and then I go out and I kind of, you know, throw caution to win on the weekend, can I really fuck up what I did over those five days? And so I was like, get out a piece of paper and we just calculated it out. And I, I think what happens is what people don't realize is especially the places like you would go drink if, you know, you sit down and you're like, oh, hey, let's get a burger and this and you go through it and you're like, fuck, man, with those fries, I was 1300 calories. Mm -hmm. Now, all of a sudden, you know, your meals are four to 500 and we're pretty well put together. Now, all of a sudden you add one 1300 calorie meal next to you know, I eat this. And like we kind of went through and I showed him like, here you go. Like you can negate that caloric restriction really easy on the weekend with just two or three fuck ups. And, yeah. um, you know, the problem that I and I'm sure everybody's in the same and like we've talked about is I don't make good food decisions after a whole bunch of drinks. Mm -hmm. uh, like when we went out on St. Patrick's Day. Thank God they didn't serve any food in the place and we had to go walk to get a real average burger. But, uh, I mean, in years past, I would have been like, let's, uh, uh, corned beef and hash. Let me well, get we some got eggs. Breakfast, yeah. And then we, yeah. yeah. Then we yeah, got we, lunch. We would have sat, <laughs> sat there and, and done it. And, uh, it just, I, I know myself well enough to know that I'm not one of these people where it's like, oh, I had drinks. I'm not going to eat anything for two days. So like that mm -hmm. feels like a crazy person. Yeah. And Definitely. so what I recommend is pre-planning it out. Um, especially if you have specific goals. So look at your day, look at your macros. You don't, you might for Thanksgiving or something, but for my breakfast, the same hit my protein goal. I might remove a little bit of fat. Um, and then I'm going to have, you know, 13, 1500 calories that I'm going to plan out when I know that's two beers, a burger without a bun, I'm going to do whatever side and then you have it planned. So you might go over two or 300 calories that day, really enjoying yourself, but you're not blowing it. So mentally you feel like you have cheated, but mentally you also feel in control of that because you planned it out. Mm -hmm. um, so that's something with my clients, my one-on-one -on -one clients that really, really want to see progress. Um, you can't, unless you're training for like a bodybuilding show, it doesn't necessarily make sense to completely deprive yourself every single day because most people will get very burned out. So mm -hmm. having these planned out ways of cheating um, or having a flex meal 
really can help. Um, and that's something Rob and I both do with our clients. Um, so can you get into more details with that? I mean, like, for example, uh, is it easier? Like, let's say you've had somebody consistent four meals and you're in a, you know, slight caloric restriction it's going through. Is it easier? And I found this um, to like almost, and I've, I've done this as well, where uh, it's almost easier to like not eat and almost fast a little bit and then have a bigger meal, you know, and not necessarily like, Hey, I want you to go eat anything, but kind of pre-plan it and kind of fast on the front side so that they can have like maybe a 1500 calorie meal, which makes you feel a lot more satiated than eating a whole bunch of little micro ones. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I, it just depends the client. So I might look at, um, their breakfast and be like, okay, you're usually eating, I don't know, 30 grams of protein, 10 grams of fat and 30 grams of carbs. I'm just throwing 35 grams of carbs. So let's take away that fat. Cause that's 90 calories. So you're just going to do your protein and carbs. Your you, meal two, you'll keep the same, your snacks and meal um, three, we're going to completely remove. And then we're going to add an additional two or 300 calories. And that is your number to play with for, and, and if they want a Starbucks drink, that's 500 calories that day, cool just plan for it um so now you have 800 calories or whatever um it takes away guilt and you will still see progress that way and uh it could be something you get weekly or it could be something you get twice a month um just depending on how dialed in you are and how your body is responding during the week do you do you find that um uh like I always, and, and this is, I don't know if, if, uh, if it's necessarily correct or not, but I always, uh, explain to people that like, if you're 18 to 20% body fat, you're not getting a cheat meal. Like there's like this idea that if you've been dieting. And so my whole deal was like, if you can diet into like 10, 12% now, all of a sudden we can start talking about it. But like, if you're, you know, in the 16 to 18 to 20% body fat and you're trying to lean out, like just cause you were good for three weeks doesn't mean that you get a cheat meal. And so I tried to explain it like cheat meals start coming when all of a sudden you get burned out or you reach a certain percent of a body fat when you're already, so, you know, and I can even spot, it. I'm sure you guys can too, on your pictures when you look at them, you're like, oh, okay. Uh, even though I haven't calibered, I can kind of see, I can see a cap in the shoulder. I can see a little bit of the, you know, if I can see the first, second and third ab and you kind of go through it and in your mind, you can kind of, you know, Google some pictures and you can pretty closely figure out like, you know, cause I've had people do it all the time. I'm 10% body fat. I'm like, there's no fucking way you're 10% body fat. Um, so I think that there's yeah. an interesting piece <laughs> that, that body is messed up. Uh, yeah, no, I, when I was out in California, at Dave Spitz's place, they were using the end body stuff and I went through it and I'm like, dude, this whole thing's based upon water in the system. If somebody's more dehydrated and he's like, oh yeah, these guys are usually pretty, you know, if we do it on a certain day, I'm like, yeah, cause they're probably dehydrated from drinking. He's like, oh yeah, that, that totally affects it. But when you look at the aggregate over <laughs> drinking, the course of time, cardio and sauna, <laughs> <laughs> then you go on the, the next morning, go on the in-body. <laughs> yeah. Or you can just get in a bath of like Epsom salts to also pull a ton of water out of you. So, I mean, but uh, like that's an interesting piece being able to like tell people that like just because you've been compliant on your diet doesn't mean that you get a cheat meal. So that was a big one I always to deal with. I'm like, well, what about cheat meals? I'm like, I'm not planning those in. Like once you reach a certain level of body fat or a certain level of conditioning installed out, it makes benefit. It kind of benefits us to do this a little bit. But like just compliance alone doesn't necessitate a cheat meal. Some people don't want them because it can trigger negative habits. So um, I have a guy right now that I've just built in high carb days and that's what works because Jack Street 
had a pretty intense two two weeks uh, that was going on. So on those lower bodies, I just gave him two carb refeeds and um, we're gonna see how he responds to the higher calories and then slowly build him back up because he's been in a deficit for 11 weeks now. Um, so what's a, uh, in, in terms of deficit, have you seen uh, like a sweet spot amount per meal, like, or per day? Um, you know, I've seen people do as much as a thousand calories in a deficit and I've seen people do it in two and 300. And uh, I just wondered if there's a certain amount you guys kind of shoot for, or more importantly, you've found a sweet spot because too much. And then what happens, people can hold it for about four or five days and then they just fucking crash. Yeah. It's, I mean, it just really depends. I mean, um, you know, some people can, can be fine with a pretty large deficit. Um, actually Nico was one of those, um, guys. It was, uh, he just where we thought he was going to be in a deficit. I mean, it just, he, he needed to be in a lot more deficit than, than we, than I would have maybe liked, but, um, but it worked for him. And then, uh, you know, some people, they just, they can't handle the hunger. You know, I mean, the, the, the huge deficit is just going to come with a bunch of hunger and probably hangriness and that, that, and that's not a good place for people to be. So it just kind of really depends. I mean, I can't say there's a complete sweet spot for, because everybody's just so different. Do you think of uh, some people deal with hunger? Oh, I mean, it's true. Some people deal with hunger a lot better than others. Right, um, for sure. Yeah. It's like the I always think, <laughs> well, I, I always think for myself too, uh, I overate so many meals in my life, like to the point of like sickness, nausea that uh, I actually enjoy being hungry. And I'm like, oh yeah, this is good. This actually reminds me what it's like to be hungry. And I remember Matt Vincent said it on the podcast. He's like, man, I overate so many meals that like, I don't ever need another cheat meal. I mean, I cheated my entire life. Like I was fat forever. <laughs> Like, uh, it's worth it for me or in any made the, the, uh, Callie Hinsman, nothing tastes as good as thin. <laughs> That's so bad. Uh, yeah. So when we did our 22 Jack street and like, Jesus. like we, what, uh, well, when you said overeat so many meals, I immediately went back to, uh, December through March, 2014, 15, where I had to cultivate mass oh. and that's, it was that was harder than the workouts. Uh, yeah. I mean the, uh, yeah. Uh, if you've never had like, and, and so what's funny is, uh, there's very few people you'll ever meet that like, I got to put on a hundred pounds of body weight or, you know, like, you know, the idea of when I started lifting weights, I was a buck 65. And then when I left high school four years later, I was two sixty five. So I gained a hundred pounds in high school. And like the idea that every meal has to be like, uh, I'm going to fucking die on the sword on this meal. And you do that for years. It's almost like, oh, uh, not that I forget to eat, but it's almost nice to feel like not obligated to eat. Mm -hmm. I was a, uh, I watched a lecture for the class I'm in, and it was a dietitian at UNC for the football team, and she makes like thousand calorie snack bags and gives it to the players, and she's like, you have to eat this, and it's like peanut butter and jelly and like all this all this food, and I'm like. I want a thousand calories now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I used to make a thousand calorie shake. Yeah. Yeah. It was a thousand calorie shake. It was, uh, it had like, uh, it was like 150 grams of protein. It had like all this, like, it was like peanut butter. It had this, it had, it was, and then I used to make it in this big shake and, uh, yeah. And that was a thousand calories. So if I was ever like off my calories for the day, cause it was pretty consistent, like between six and seven. And it was, you know, basically your five, six, seven thousand calorie meals. And you get an idea of exactly what about a thousand calories is. And if I was in a lurch, I'd be like, I'm just going to make my thousand calorie shake. Yeah. The interesting thing for college athletics and the nutritionist position, like 
you have to give certain macronutrient breakdowns. So there's some rule within the NCAA about the ratio between protein and fat or carbs. I forget which one. So like certain bars out there are off the list and off the table. You can't have them because there's too much protein in there. So maybe creating your own little snack bags is her workaround. Yeah, I, it's, I don't know. it's I don't pretty know. amazing to think that in 2022 that you would actually have a governing body that's nervous about consuming too many, too much protein. And yet not, I mean, you know, like, cause I, I remember, uh, you know, when it, I was in this, this may have since changed. It, like, it should. I mean, it's fucking archaic. I wonder if they still drill holes in people's heads too. the NCAA knows. NCAA double assholes. NCAA double assholes, which is <laughs> as soon as you said it, I found, I think of that. But I, I like, so I, I remember uh, when I was at the Chiefs, they brought in a uh, nutritionist and she wanted to talk to me about diet and she was prescribing like a thousand grams of carbohydrate. And I'm like, fuck, that's 4,000 calories just to fucking carbs. And I'm like, uh, you know, I mean, and she's like, no, it's relatively easy to eat a thousand grams of carbohydrates. And I'm like, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Pizza, fucking, nice uh, pizza, three bags yeah. of chips and, uh, you know, uh, fucking four bowls of rice. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, there's, um, I mean, it's pretty interesting. Like, uh, if you go back and look at like the eighties and I've talked to England on at this at great length. Um, if you go back and look at the eighties, most of the bodybuilders ate a pretty high carb diet. Um, you know, they were, you know, and, and a lot of those guys still do, but what people forget is when you are that lean, your body can process more carbohydrate. So we've talked about metabolic flexibility and the only determining factor for metabolic flexibility is your relationship between body fat and muscle. The more lean muscle mass you carry, the more flexible your diet and the more carbs you can handle. So, uh, especially when we start dieting people, I mean, for me, at least when I started working with people that were 20, 20 plus percent body fat, they were on a pretty low carb diet. And then as we cascaded down and they started getting in the teens and even into the, you know, you know, 11, 12s and, um, you know, be able to take somebody from 20 down to 10% body fat. It was almost this kind of inverse relationship where there was like more, you know, more protein. And then, uh, as they started leaning out, we just started adding in more carb, which felt like it accelerated it. And, um, that was a pretty real deal. And I just remember telling people like, we got to get you lean enough to be able to handle more carbs. Uh, so when I asked Tom about that, I was like, Hey, how come in the eighties we used to read these, where they all lined to us? And Tom's like, I don't know if the food was different or maybe those guys were just taking different drugs, but for some reason those guys handled more carbs or at least they wrote about taking more carbs back in the eighties and the nineties. But then I remember I was on a podcast for, uh, Jim Steele. So I was on a podcast Raw Steele. and the guy who was on the podcast with him was one of the flex magazine writers from the eighties or from the nineties. And I actually, when he was telling me, I was like, dude. Dorian Yates back routine. We saw him on the cover. That's what like got me excited about lifting weights. And he's like, Oh yeah, I remember that. I wrote that. Dorian Yates had no fucking hand in that. I'm like, so you just were making up these articles. He's like, hundred percent. I was ghostwriting all these articles. I'm like, fuck. Everybody thought Dorian Yates was doing fucking 45 sets of back a day. People believe anything, John, the bigger, the lie. <laughs> Two more questions, guys. I think that are going to be fun. The first is, and geeking out, and we have a, a preview on YouTube. Dr. Kirsch partially presented this to our Block Ones during the 2021 Block One Coach Collective, but hormones and sleep. So how alcohol, and Dr. Per Kirk partially works with a lot of Navy SEALs, alcohol and SEALs, we know. But uh, he expressed the effect of having more than two drinks and this cascading downward effect of hormones and sleep and then everything else. So I feel this client... Sam, that you were speaking speaking to, he's got to have some sleep going on, which they reinforce his alcohol consumption and some negative things. So, what do we know about hormones, sleep, and alcohol? Rob, 
<laughs> Sam. <I don't> know. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, it definitely has a disruptive effect. Um, just anecdotal experience. Um, I know that I sweat more after drinking alcohol and going to sleep. So I'm getting more dehydrated. My sleep is not as restful because it messes with your, um, Oh my gosh. What is circadian that? Rhythms. Thank you. Circadian rhythm. Um, and then you're going to like, I don't know if you've ever had a really bad hangover, you wake up and you, it's like four in the morning and you're wide awake. So everything just gets messed up. And when you're chronically doing that, like tech said that, uh, Dr. Parsley touched on, you actually crave the alcohol more. Um, just like you crave sugar more when you're fatigued, your body just wants to get these energies and these self-medications and these releases because it's not repairing and recovering at night, which if you want gains, you sleep is where it happens because that's where the anabolic window is and everything is repairing and coming back together that you just spent all day destroying. Um, I, I also think uh, hormone wise too. And, and, you know, this is probably more in chronic cases of, of drinking more alcohol is, you know, you'll see, especially with men, maybe uh, a rise in, and they'll start to, you know, because it's just, like, especially if they're beer drinkers, you'll start to see that kind of thing. And then, you know, now you're talking all kinds of body changes you don't want. And, uh, so, you know, I, I usually try to tell guys to stay away from things like that beer because they don't, they don't want to, you don't want to be, have too much estrogen. If you're a dude, especially if you're wanting to build muscle and be, have performance and, and actually have your hormones in, in the right ratios. So that's, that's more chronic though. Yeah. I had a client, uh, Rob, you'll probably remember the name. What's the, I, and it's cause I'm on a podcast. I can't remember what's the sleep disorder where you like, don't actually know you're awake. It's like the step brothers sleep, sleep apnea. No, not oh, said nar- nar- narcolepsy. Oh, narcolepsy. Yeah. You actually get up and like eat. So he would oh, wake up. Oh, I, I had a client who used to sleep eat. Yes, he would wake up and there would be wrappers all over the kitchen. Yep. Yep. (laughs) I'm not kidding. No, uh, it's it's a disorder. There's... um, I can't... Yeah, it's like sleepwalking, but you go to the fridge and fucking slay all the food. Yes. And so his girlfriend actually had to, like, lock up the cabinets at night because he'd follow his macros perfectly during the day. He'd have a couple glasses of wine at night. And, um, and then he'd be like, yeah, I know. I think I had like half a jar of peanut butter and like some potato chips and all this stuff. Long story short, he went to a doctor because that's definitely something you need to go to the doctor for, um, cut out the alcohol and his sleep has since improved. Um, it's been about a year since I've worked with him, but I will never, ever forget that. Wow. Uh, sleep related eating disorder, SRED is a type of para- Simonia, abnormal behavior that happens during sleep. The uh, so I think I've told you guys my roommate in college. Yeah. So when when I was a freshman in college, we lived in these suites, and uh, I lived with a football player, and then I lived with these suite mates that were tennis players. And one of the dudes was fucking razor skinny. So then his sister came to visit because he was from the area, and she was razor skinny. And then uh, his parents came, and the dad was razor skinny, and the mom was huge. And oh. as I was. And he's like, my mom wasn't real big. Uh, she told me when in the last couple of years. 
So then more and more, like we kind of got into it, come to find out that his mom managed all the finances and didn't like how much food they were consuming because it was fucking with her budget. So she put locks on all of the refrigerator and all the cabinets. And she was the only one with a key. And uh, when I like the next time I saw his whole family, when they came over, I was like, this is a metaphor for our government and really just life. The one who controls the key is usually the one who's like fucking doing all this because his dad, his sister and like they didn't have the key. They were skinny as shit. And the mom was super heavy. And I'm like, so is she who's governing your mom? Because this seems to be a real problem. (laughs) Who watches uh, the watchman? Exactly. And I'm so like, uh, it's kind of like, oh, so uh the the moral of the story is if you want to be skinny don't hold the key to the food uh i got a quick note on parasimonia that me and my college roommates had essentially like we'd have parties and then clean up just essentially blackout drunk so when we wake up to a clean house oh, so that was nice. our, rather than continue the destruction we'd actually like patch holes and do some crazy things for our senior year of college i wow. guess it's it was a disorder. We had a problem. Did it look good or were you like, oh, wow, we really tried to, to fix that. And now Define it's just good. <laughs> successful. Was it successful? Uh, I mean, we could live with it for another week. Um, okay. Till the next party. Okay. Final question. Say we do go out and have a good time on certain days and drink more than we should and negatively affect our diet. Is there anything like we can accelerate the recovery process? sauna jumping into a pool so i've heard a lot of different things what uh, can we do element, I think I back on element, I think I, yeah, that did work for lawrence taylor but uh i yeah i agree with him i think um i'll tell you this the uh um i don't know if we talked about it on the podcast but uh i really went down the rabbit hole on like why this sauna thing works and more importantly why this cold water immersion works and the only thing i really found was positive gene expression you know, you start talking about heat shock proteins and all these people talk about the effects of doing these different kind of, uh, you know, extreme environments, but nobody ever talks like why this is life extension. And, um, it has to do a little bit with gene expression in terms of like putting your body in the most kind of disadvantaged, uh, like disadvantaged way, putting it into like the, the hottest of fires so that the gene expression is positive, which also goes on the other side that if you sit on the couch all day and you don't do anything difficult, the body expresses genes in a negative way to try to kill you off sooner. What? Yeah, no. Uh, so um, David Sinclair, who wrote the book Life Ex- uh, was it Lifespan? He has a podcast, but um, if you read his book, it's extremely dry. But he does have a podcast, and he does get into a little bit of stuff about why these different environments work the way. That's why, like, training works in terms of like um, you know, especially doing a little bit of like anaerobic kind of CrossFit metabolic conditioning. Why that like little bit light up and you guys know what I'm talking about when you start like swinging heavy kettlebells and all of a sudden you're, you know, into 30 swings and you kind of take that little like breath. It's almost like a hit where you're like, Oh fuck, am I going to survive this? That's the feeling that you're going for both in the hot and the cold. And that causes a positive gene expression. So, so do that hungover. Uh, I've never, man, I, um, well, I'd be- I played a lot of football games hungover because when I came in the NFL, the old guys told us that the only way you play good on Sunday is if you have a hangover on Sunday, so you can go out and just fucking be really angry. Mm-hmm. So I subscribed to that for a long time. The only problem is I think that negatively affects your recovery. And I think when you're younger, it benefits you. And then you get a little bit older and I don't think you can handle that the same way. Yeah. Um, I'd say element, hydrate, uh, a vitamin B complex might not be a bad idea. And then I always throw in some vitamin C that could be a placebo, but 
<laughs> that's what I do. I don't really drink very much, so I don't I don't really I don't really do any of that. <laughs> Ever? So so you're not a drinker anyway? No, I mean I have every so often. I just I, I did that a lot when I was in college and I think my liver stopped talking to me for a long time and so we're now back on kind of conversing terms. Mm-hmm. I like it. So so for me, um what I do most nights to kind of get that thing is I'm a I'm a big Topo Chico LaCroix fan. So that that carbonated water gives me this feel of a uh, of a drink. And that that kind of does it for me. Have you guys tried these Ziva, Zevia sodas? Zevia? I haven't. Oh, my God. That. These kids somehow sucked my wife into uh, these. They're like uh, all natural Zevia, no calorie but they're somehow flavored them to taste like the the soda drinks that we drank as kids, like orange and Dr. Pepper. And uh, there's a few different ones. Dr. Pepper? Oh. Yeah, they have one. That I think it's called Dr. Zevia. And okay. uh, yeah. uh, like uh, my wife will buy them like once a week. She'll get like a six pack and the kids can uh, um, like, I guess they can have one. I don't know what their, you know, what their treat. But the best part about it is usually my kids, what they do is they crack the drink and they take one sip. And then they like leave it somewhere and then walk away. And I just cruise around and look for like half drink ones and just slam them and crush them. And the kids will come back like, where's my drink? I'm like, you left it unattended. And <laughs> That's so, something uh, I talk about with my clients though, is the dad finish mentality where dad always finishes all the food on the plate. And that accounts for a ton of extra calories. Yeah, no, I just do it with, uh, with, with drinks, like the kombuchas or, or, or like whatever they're like. Uh, so like my wife's really good, but the kids like, uh, not necessarily treats, but she lets them get like weird drinks. Like they come home with some like crazy kombuchas and stuff. And if they leave them unattended, I'm going to fucking finish them just to show them and be like, don't, don't loaf on your stuff. I'm going to finish it. So, all right. So the moral story to reboot is, uh, if you're looking to get in shape and following the leaning protocol on a power athlete training program, drinking four to five nights a week is not going to be in your best interest unless you're really looking for stagnant, real average progress, which I don't think anybody's going into this expecting failure. So if you want to make good progress, it's probably best to reach out and book a consult with Sam or Rob. And if you really have a problem where, you know what, you're, you can't go on this journey because, I mean, obviously we put the tools out there, but the tools are dramatically sharpened when you have somebody lead you on that journey like Rob and Sam. So if you uh, want to give it a shot, hit them up. And uh, not to say you can't do it, but it, there's a lot easier ways to get in shape uh, than not drinking four or five nights a week. Mm-hmm. So anything else, guys? No, I think that's okay. a good one. Well, cool. Well, if you got any questions, kick them over to nutrition at powerathletehq.com. And thanks for tuning in to another episode of Power Athlete Radio. Bye. Bye. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Head to powerathletehq.com backslash training to choose from a number of programs to meet your specific performance goals. And if you'd like to break a mental sweat too, visit academy.powerathletehq.com and become a real stakeholder in you or your athlete's success. Until next time, bye.